Prop 13 2020 helps build strong schools, and strong schools are good for local communities and good for our children, which are the future. And you're going to hear all kinds of sob stories about needing more money for the children. It's way past time to ignore them and instead vote your already depleted wallet and just say no to Prop 13 on March 3rd. Welcome back to Upvote California, a podcast for California voters. This is the first episode in our 2020 ballot proposition series where we cover each issue on the ballot and bring on experts to talk about both sides. I'm your host, Brian Atwood. On this podcast, we're going to be talking about the only proposition on the March 2020 election. It's Proposition 13. There's going to be a lot of voters on March 3rd that are there to cast a ballot for the presidential primary, and they couldn't have made things more confusing with this proposition. This one is not to be confused with the famous Prop 13 in the 70s that dealt with property taxes. This year's Prop 13 has to do with school bonds. If it is approved by voters, this Prop 13 would authorize $15 billion in bonds for school and college facility renovation and construction. Given that Prop 13 hasn't received a lot of attention in the media, we're happy to be able to bring you two experts to go over the pros and cons of the measure. We have Celia Jaffe, the president of the California State PTA, to go over some of the supporting arguments, and Larry Sand, the president of the California Teachers Empowerment Network, to talk about the opposing arguments. Before we get into the interviews, as always, we start off with a quick summary of the background and some key stats for the proposition. California provides public education for 9.2 million students. These are primarily K-12 students, but also include students in charter schools, colleges, and universities. California provides state funds to help cover cost of new construction and renovation. This is typically 50% for new construction and 60% for renovations, but low-income school districts may receive more help from the state. For the remainder of the cost, local school districts are responsible for providing the funds, typically through bonds, but also through things like real estate developer fees. This ensures that local communities support the cost of new facilities, but also get help from the state. Historically, California provides these state funds through bonds. Since 2002, the state has raised bonds through four state propositions, 47, 55, 1D, and the latest was 51 in 2016. Prop 51 authorized $9 billion in bonds, but much of that has already been allocated and there are applications in place for the remaining amount. So getting back to Prop 13, it would authorize $15 billion for facilities constructions, of which $9 billion is for public schools and $6 billion is for higher education facilities. The funding is designated for four specific types of projects, renovation, new construction, charter schools, and career technical education facilities. Also, school districts could seek some of the bond funding for their preschool facilities. The state would also replace the first-come, first-serve process for allocation and create a prioritization list for new projects. Health and safety projects would receive highest priority, followed by projects from school districts that can't raise their share, for example. The state would pay off the bonds, which are $15 billion plus $11 billion in interest, by making annual payments of about $740 million per year for 35 years. This amount is about one-half of 1% of the state's current general fund budget. 
Prop 13 was put on the ballot by the California State Legislature by Assembly Bill 48. Originally, this was going to be two propositions, one in March and one in November, but the legislature decided to combine it into one proposition for the March election. The state Senate voted 35 to 4 in favor of the bill, and the Assembly voted 78 to 1 in favor. Governor Gavin Newsom then signed the bill, which put it on the March ballot. Let's take a quick look who is funding both sides of Prop 13 marketing. Five ballot measure committees have registered to support Prop 13 and have raised about $6.3 million. Californians for Safe Schools and Healthy Learning and Californians for Quality Schools, sponsored by the California Building Industry Association, have contributed the highest amounts. No committees have registered to oppose Prop 13. Education is an important issue that requires a deep understanding of the issue, so I'm going to go ahead and bring on our experts who can go into more details about why you should support or oppose Prop 13. I would like to welcome Celia Jaffe to the podcast to talk about the supporting arguments for Proposition 13, the School and College Facilities Bond. Celia Jaffe is the president of the California State PTA and has been involved with the PTA since 1995. With extensive experience as a teacher, parent, and executive within the PTA, Celia has been very active in her career in advocating for students and, in particular, for funding of California schools. Celia co-authored one of the arguments in favor of Prop 13 in the state's official voter information guide, so we are excited to have someone with direct experience and knowledge to talk about this important issue. Thank you for joining Upvote California, Celia. Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Um, Can you please explain Proposition 13 briefly and why you think it is important for Californians to vote yes? Certainly. Uh, Proposition 13 2020, first of all, it has nothing to do with the old Prop 13. This is an entirely new proposition. It is a state um, school construction bond. So this means that the state of California sells bonds, that it, it essentially borrows money from investors and uses that those funds to help public schools, public K-12 schools um, and Cal State Community Colleges and University of California schools to renovate and have a little bit of new construction. Most of it is for modernization and renovation of aging school facilities. Okay, thank you for that. Um, I know that depending on what you read, uh, they, they say that California K-12 through ranks average or below average in the nation when it comes to our education quality. Can you kind of talk about what, what those ratings mean and what you think needs to be done um, to make our education system better and how Prop 13, um, being that it's a facilities bond, how Prop 13 ties into to making our schools better? A construction bond helps in education for many reasons. Uh, It provides more modernized facilities, healthier facilities for our students. Um, Some California schools have lead in the waters. Uh, Water has um, our needs of seismic upgrades um, and more safety features because of earthquakes or fires. Um, Some of them have asbestos. these environments are not all healthy for our kids. So the, if the very first priority, obviously, is the health and well-being of California students. So that's why renovation um, and modernization that this school bond would do is so very important. 
and and children actually do better academically in um, in better environments. You know, if you have good lighting, if you have enough electrical outlets, um, and and uh, the Wi-Fi and so on for modern learning, these kinds of things and help uh, students academically. In fact, they are um, able to access curriculum in different ways. You know, science labs, uh, performing arts uh, facilities all the kinds of things that we want for our children to, to thrive and to really um, be excited about and dig into their education can be improved by better facilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know California has passed several facilities bonds um, over the past years to fund, uh, you know, reconstruction and new schools. Um, I felt like there were some things that they put in this Proposition 13, kind of based on some of the learnings they had in, in previous bonds, um, to try to um, make sure that the money is spent a little better. Um, so there's some things packed into this proposition that I thought were interesting to, to highlight. Can you talk about um, maybe some of those other details, for example, how it will affect underprivileged schools or prioritization of some of these projects? Right. So, yeah, there it's it's an interesting um, bond. This particular legislation, which uh, was um, tinkered with a little bit from past patterns, as you said. Uh, so, some of the problems that some of our school districts have had is that um, it was a first come first serve setup. So, the the state has this money to give to local schools, but schools have to apply for it, and the application is very extensive. They have to have uh, plans for what they're going to do that have been approved and all this, and it's quite extensive. So schools that had large, our school districts that had larger staff and uh, and more wealth would be more likely to get all that material together and and get in line first. Uh, and that has been a problem for some of the um, less well-funded schools, smaller school districts. Uh, and so this particular legislation, this bond, has a different setup. It, um, it prioritizes certain kinds of uh, projects with that, those kinds of health and safety um, concerns. It, pri- it gives extra priority to very small school districts. Um, it gives a slightly larger um, percentage of state funding versus the matching funding that the local school district has to do. It gives a slightly larger amount um, for those underprivileged schools. So it's really trying to address some of the things that have been um, have been pointed out in previous bonds as being a little bit of an inequity that some schools were left behind because they couldn't get in line fast enough. Right. I, I talked to um, some people in, in preparing for this about kind of what would what's a concern of someone that's kind of on the fence. You know, I think in general Californians, you know, tend to support education, but. Um, someone on the fence might say, okay, it's a lot of money. I'm not sure where it's going to be spent. Um, and you mentioned that they've kind of tinkered with it to prioritize safety over just, um, you know, and prioritize safety projects versus um, the wealthy school districts that kind of get their package in on time. So um, for that voter that's on the fence, that's like, I, I just, I don't know where this money goes. The proposition mentions there's oversight and public audits, but do you know where someone might go to actually verify that, like verify where this money goes? Well, I certainly know how they could do that for any school district that uses it. Mm-hmm. You know, school districts that get um, 
that raise money of their own and apply for uh, funds from the state, they have a local community oversight panels that have um, that have public meetings, and their their plans for uh, their modernization are all at uh, school board public meetings and part of their budgets and all. So everything uh, everything that you will see at any school district, um, which includes their use of the state funding, would be at um, at local public meetings and hearings. Um, and obviously, California, you know the the state's own um, finances that should be all public. Um, so, so one could find the, the lists of school district, uh, school districts that are being funded and so on like that on the um, state of California website. Also. Oh, okay. That's very helpful. I, I read the, the voter guide and it said public audits and I figured it was the state level. So it's, it's great to know that it's, it's a local thing and, and that's uh, super easy for people to get access to if they're, if they're in that community. Um, I guess I have one, one other final question for someone that's on the fence. Um, there's, there's talk in, in the um, measure about an increase in the amount of, of money that um, local school districts can raise in terms of bonds. And so your the opponents would say this is going to result in higher property taxes because schools uh, school districts are going to raise more bonds. So can you can you kind of quickly talk about um, a counter argument to that about um, uh, that someone's going to say this is going to increase property taxes? Sure. Um, sure. So what this is about is that a uh, local school district, um, if they use some of this state money, they have to have some of their own money to match. You know, there's a 55%, 45% match or uh, 50, depending on some of the um, rules. But so the local school district is uh, going to use their use money that either they have, they may have sold an unused property and just use that money for their match or they may have developer fees that they use for that match, or they may um, go out for a local bond and um, and you borrow uh, do their own bond issuing with that they borrow money and reap the pay using extra small amounts of property taxes from their local community. If that's what they do, if they do a local bond, um, that's what that that change in this um, in the rules here is is that they are allowed to do a slightly um, higher tax uh, to those local property taxes. That is a local um, election in itself. That is a local election in itself. So the school district would put on the ballot um, that they want to ha- sell a bond, and it would have the, all the information about what that would do to local property values, and that's a 55% um, affirmative vote to make that happen locally. So um, the reason that that's needed in some districts is that the, believe it or not, in California, there are some areas where property values are st- have stayed low. You know, there's some mm-hmm. rural areas and so on where property values are quite, have stayed low and their schools are old. You know, their schools need us, need to be modern. Those kids need modernized schools just as much. Um, so if their local communities are willing to um, step up with a little more to improve those schools, they would indicate that by voting locally for it. Right, right. Okay, well, thank you for for clarifying that. Um, well, I've, I've used up a lot of your time today. Um, I know you're, you're super busy. So I just want to ask one final question. Um, if voters have a, they have a lot to keep track of when they're, when they're voting on March 3rd, um, the main, they're probably mainly 
considering the presidential primary, but they're going to see Prop 13, and a lot of people are going to say, what is that? So if there's one thing that a, a listener can take with them into the polling booth about Prop 13, what would that be? It would be that Prop 13 2020 helps build strong schools, and strong schools are good for local communities and good for our children, which are the future. So Prop 13 2020 is building strong schools and uh, good for our neighborhoods and our kids. Okay, that's wonderful. Well, thank you for your time, Celia. We really appreciate you on the podcast today. Absolutely. Enjoyed it. We're going to turn over to opposing arguments against 2020's Proposition 13, and we're fortunate to have Larry Sand to talk about the measure with us. Larry is a former teacher and currently the president of the California Teachers Empowerment Network, or CTEN, a nonpartisan group founded in 2006 dedicated to providing teachers and the public with reliable and balanced information about positions on educational issues and professional affiliations. Larry is with us today as a private citizen and is not representing the views of the CTN. Larry has been on many radio and television news programs to talk about education reform efforts, and he is one of the co-authors of the Opposing Arguments for Prop 13 in the Official Voter's Guide, so we are grateful to have him on the podcast today. Thanks for joining Upvote California, Larry. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you please start by explaining Proposition 13 and why you think it's important for Californians to vote no? Okay, well, a yes vote supports the measure to authorize $15 billion in general obligation bonds for school and college facilities, including $9 billion for preschool and K-12 schools, $4 billion for universities, and $2 billion for community colleges. But, and it's a big but, as Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association President John Kapal notes, the $15 billion reflects typical credit card math because the money would be borrowed from Wall Street and taxpayers would pay it back, plus 80% in total interest costs. So the stated $15 billion is actually $27 billion. Of course, we need to have uh, well-maintained school buildings. To that end, voters already approved $9 billion in 2016 to build and repair schools. But now we're told that they never repair the deteriorating water pipes or removed uh, asbestos from the classrooms. Instead of spending the state's 21 or so billion dollar surplus on upgrading school facilities and providing high-quality education for our kids, the governor and the legislature typically waste our money on pet projects like the $80 billion train to nowhere. $80 billion and counting, I should say. The surplus money could have gone into solutions for education system, both in classroom instruction and for new facilities, without new debt that our children will be paying for decades. We've seen this before from Sacramento politicians. They overspend, issue bonds, and they punish us with tax hikes on cars, gasoline, income, etc. And these tax hikes never go to what the politicians say they will go. Just look at our crumbling roads and, and the billions of dollars diverted to the aforementioned high-speed rail. Also, and this is very important, Brian, public employee pension and health care perks are a huge drain. In a paper published by the Brookings Institution recently, University of Missouri economics professor Corey Cordell writes, and I quote, California's pension debt is harming teachers and students now, and it's going to get worse. He explains that the California state teachers' retirement system's total unfunded liability is over $100 billion. And finally, as tax, uh, San Diego tax warrior Richard Ryder reminds us, California now has by far the nation's state highest state income tax rate and the highest state sales tax rate and the highest gas tax. Mm -hmm. Right. I think 
we kind of all agree that everybody wants education to be better. Um, the main sticking point seems to be on how we pay for it, of course. Um, California K through 12 schools rank, you know, nationally rank either average or below average or at the bottom, depending on who you ask, in terms of educational achievement. So what do you think is a, a better alternative to improving our education quality than passing bond measures like this? Um, for, you know, a voter might say, yes, I see there's better ways to fund our schools, but here's something right now that I can vote on that's going to improve schools. The legislature's already approved it. It's on the ballot. It's ready to go. So what are your thoughts on, on better ways to do this, uh, given that? Okay, well, going back to the first part of your question, yes, uh, California students do not do well on the 2019 National Assessment of Educational Progress, also known as the NAEP test. California kids, just eighth graders, I should say, 30% of them score proficient in reading and just 29% in math, and this despite the fact that per-pupil spending has been increasing. Uh, in fact, according to the latest data from the U.S. Census Bureau, the state actually ranks 21st in state uh, spending uh, Calfax.org, uh, using LAO data, ranks California 29th. So in other words, depending on which you believe, we're right in the middle nationally. And in fact, there's been a 60% increase in K-12 through spending since 2011. Now, as where we could get the money, if we just took 5% of that bu- budget surplus over the last two years and dedicated to school facilities, that's an additional $1.3 billion. Now, that, that won't solve everything, but it certainly would help. And then there are life cycle costs, excuse me. The typical school has a life cycle of anywhere from 25 to 35 years. The local bond, the typical local bond lasts about 30 to 35 years, so there should be zero need to replace or renovate a building with with a useful life of less than 35 years. If it needs maintenance, the school districts should be paying for them, you know, without using bonds. Mm, okay. And, and, and let me just add something. Uh, we, we have a huge problem in California, especially in the education sphere with transparency. In fact, California is the only state in the country that stubbornly refuses to reveal public spending records to a government watchdog, which has now prompted threats of legal action. Uh, the L.A. Times recently wrote that California's education funding is at a record high, so why are schools so short on cash? The Mercury News advises us that California can't account for billions of education dollars and adds that it's inexcusable that after six years of a K-12 through spending revamp, an audit finds that, quote, needy kids aren't getting the help they should. Mm-hmm. The Sacramento Bee wonders why the economy is booming and so many California schools are broke. And teacher union watchdog Mike Antonucci asks, is all the extra state funding that districts are getting, excuse me, is all the state student funding that districts are getting benefiting the kids? State auditor says, we don't know. Mm-hmm. We got big uh, transparency problems here, to say the least. One of the arguments against Prop 13 is that these funds go to wasteful construction and costly construction companies and don't actually go towards making our education system. And you kind of touched on it, but um, I think proponents will point out that these funds go towards basic safety and curriculum standards, and we need safe, high-quality buildings uh, to impact learning. So can you kind of talk about this difference in viewpoints? Uh, yeah. Um, if you, the problem here, Brian, is that I'm not sure what local projects are re, you know, receiving state-matching funds, and I think anybody would be hard-pressed to, to, to figure that out without get going to individual districts. And California is too vast to, to make a blanket statement. 
but here in Los Angeles, um, they spent an ungodly amount of money on, on, on the Taj Mahal building. I mean, it was like this luxury school that they had no right building. This is, God, maybe 10, 15 years ago. I don't, I don't remember the exact date. And then uh, on, under John Daisy's reign, they used bond dollars to pay for iPads for every student. There was no oversight. If they were stolen, lost, the district aided. It was an absolute disaster. And, and, and it, just the, the, the priorities were horrible. And also, we need to know specific projects being funded by this initiative provide benefit to a majority of the students, all the students, just a few of the students. In other words, if you're going to remodel bathrooms, or you know, that haven't been upgraded in 30 years, you know, that's fine. But if you want to, get, what about a, a, an athletic stadium? You know, and you want to have a synthetic turf instead of grass, or an all-weather uh, rubber track that comes apart after a few years, that, that's not so good. And that only benefits certain students. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I just don't trust school, you know, school districts or the state to do the right thing. I'm sorry. I'm just, uh, I know I might sound cynical, but I think I've, uh, I'm justified in being so. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for um, answering those questions. I think um, this proposition is kind of confusing. People are going to see Prop 13 on the ballot and and be a little confused about what it is. So if there's if there's one thing about this March 2020 Prop 13 that a listener can take with them to the polling booth, what would that be? Okay. I just please keep in mind that, as I mentioned earlier, California has by far this, um, the nation's highest state income tax, highest sales tax, highest gas tax, and probably many more that I'm not even mentioning. And many Californians have had it. Businesses are leaving, and this is not good. In 2018, 1,800 companies left the state, uh, with most bound to places like Texas. And California is, is regularly ranked number 50 on the best states to do business lists. And such longtime big uh, tax-paying firms like Toyota and Charles Schwab, Carl's Jr., have said goodbye. And you're going to hear all kinds of sob stories about needing more money for their children. It's way past time to ignore them and instead vote your already depleted wallet and just say no to Prop 13 on March 3rd. Okay. Is there anything else that you can say to listeners that want to learn more and get involved? Any, any websites you would recommend they check out? Um, well, I would go to Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association website. They're kind of leading the charge against this uh, and, and, and November's Prop 13. Um, and, and just please keep in mind that the educational establishment or government-run schools are not accountable to anyone, and they just always come back. They're like junkies, and they keep coming back for more and more money, and that has to change. The only dollar amount they, they need is dollar sign M-O-R-E. Okay. And, and, and probably the best way out of this, or one way out of it certainly, would be to have a system of school choice, because competition breeds accountability, and accountability makes us all better. And when you have a government monopoly, this is what they do. They make a mess of things. Okay, well, thank you for your time. Thanks for joining FO California. Thank you, Brian. That wraps up our episode on Proposition 13 for the March 2020 election. We thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about the issue, check out yesonprop13.com for supporting arguments. And you can find opposing arguments by searching for No on 13 on the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association website. If you want to stay in touch with us here at Upvote California, visit our website, upvotecalifornia.com, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle is at Upvote Podcast. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or anywhere you normally listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening. See you at the polls.